0: Uh, Why am I up here now? Over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at the book of Ezra. Um, Don't worry if at the moment uh, we've mentioned it several times this morning and you've been wondering, really, is that in the Bible? Um, Don't feel alone, Um, don't feel ashamed later on that you're going to have to look up the contents page to find what number the book of Ezra is in. I suspect uh, lots of us have uh, spent many years reading the Bible and managed to miss Ezra as part of our devotional time. Uh, It's still a great book despite it being obscure. Um, In a moment, we're going to watch a a clip, touch kid-centred and patronising, but push through that, which will help us uh, have some context for Ezra. But before we watch it, let me give you two reasons as to why we're spending four weeks on this obscure book. Uh, First, I think the book of Ezra helps us see the priority of true worship. It's really easy to turn the Christian life into just what it does for me, rather than recalling that real satisfaction is being focused on Christ. Uh, as the Westminster Confession so helpfully puts it, that the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is, the meaning of life is to glorify, worship God and enjoy him. Uh, you know, or as John Piper reminds us, that, that mission is not the goal of the church, worship is. You know, for, for life's priority is not us, it's not even other people, it's actually God himself. And I think Ezra is, is centred on getting worship right and that's a great reminder for us. A uh, second reason why we're looking at the book of Ezra is I hope that we grow in a greater confidence of a big God. Uh, that key verse that our children are taught and over the next four weeks, we're going to keep looking at that in our kids' talks, uh, Ezra reveals a big God in whose hand we are. It's bigger, he is bigger than all the other circumstances we'll come across. Uh, that, the rest of that verse kind of on the bottom there uh, that you can see that Ezra 8.22, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him But his great anger is against all who forsake him. We look at Ezra over the next few weeks to be reminded that our God is a big God and a mighty God. Um, Before we watch the clip, one final thing is... It's a really great company book with Acts. All our readings over the next few weeks are going to be Ezra and Acts. Um, let me encourage you, just in your reading at home, read Ezra and Acts during the week. You've got another three weeks to get through them all. Uh, Ten chapters in Ezra, 28 in Acts, so work your way through it. Uh, and you'll actually see some themes uh, kind of redeveloping. And why want to have a chat with other people about where you see the connections uh, connecting. How about I pray, and then we're going to watch this clip. Uh, Lord and Father, we do uh, thank you for your word and we thank you that you teach us uh, that we might know you, how great you are and how important it is to give you the worship you deserve. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, as we look at Ezra over the next few weeks, you would be working in each of us, that we would have a bigger view of you and be all the more excited about what it is to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) What's
1: the 15th book of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra. The Israelites are returning from exile. They've been held captive in Babylon until King Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon and tells the captives they can all go back to Judah and rebuild God's temple. Finally, after 70 years in captivity, the Israelites are going home to Jerusalem. The Israelites head back in three groups. The first group to head back had 50,000 people in it. The people were led by a guy named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, try saying that five times fast. Go ahead, I'm waiting. Too slow. When Zerubbabel gets the people back to Judah, they all rebuild the temple. Although it takes him a while to do it because their enemies keep trying to interfere with the building. Finally, they rebuild the temple and everything's great. About 80 years after Zerubbabel led the 50,000 back to Judah, another man named Ezra, yep, he's the one this book is named after, and leads a group of 2,000 men and their families back to Judah. But when Ezra gets back, he notices that although the temple has been rebuilt, the Israelites have been breaking some of God's rules. So Ezra reminds everybody of What they're supposed to be doing and gets everyone back on the right track. Ezra, the Israelites get to go back home. It's in the Bible. Check it out.
2: Uh, The first reading is Ezra 1, um, page 334 in your Bibles. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had then brought by Mithridath, the treasurer who counted them out to Shesh Bazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory gold dishes, 30, silver dishes, 1,000, silver pans, 29, gold bowls, 30, matching silver bowls, 4, 10, other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Shesh Bazar brought all of these along when the exiles came up from Babylon to Jerusalem.
3: The second reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 to 36, and that's found on page 771. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Sydney's a passionate city, isn't it? Uh, you may have noticed that the uh, Crave Food Festival has been running last weekend. Uh, for those who were around, it took over the bridge and uh, you may have had difficulty getting here. Uh, 31 days, uh, over 600 events uh, of, according to their ads, extraordinary food experiences. You know, Crave is, as someone put it, just so Sydney. You know, the, the title Crave is, is so gotta have it. You know, we are a, a passionate city. Uh, and don't get me wrong it's, it's not just that we're passionate for self indulgence i don't want to just have a go uh, at sydney i love this city uh, a world charity index listed us and new zealand it's nice to do equal things with new zealand especially after we lost the netball the other day but you know uh, we and new zealand were listed as first of 153 nations in willingness to donate time and money to charity found that surprising but yeah we're a passionate people uh, and yet There are massive blind spots in our passion, aren't there? I meet people all the time who don't even have the language to speak about uh, spiritual truths because they're so far from craving it. What is it going to take for for us, for our city, for for people here to have a a passion, not just for the things of this world, but, but for God who gives them? What will it take to, to create a passion for God and his ways? Because until we have that passion, we will always crave but never be fully satisfied. Uh, Augustine put it well that, that our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you, O oh God. And you know, what will it take for not just our city but, but even us in our hearts and our minds to be I suppose, consumed and passionate for the worship and love of God when so often we're, we're just overwhelmed with the demands of work, with week-to-week survival. Uh, even the kind of question that I'm asking today is probably one you don't even think about. It's so far from our minds. You know, what will it take to develop that kind of passion when so many of us have periods of feeling uh, spiritually dry and, and being weary? What will it take for us to develop a longing and passion for God because Ezra is concerned for that kind of passion for God. Uh, the, the whole book, as we saw in the, the kind of cutesy clip, uh, it's concerned with restoring true worship, getting the temple back up. It, it covers over 100 or so years. It's, it's the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem where until Jesus, that was the place you had to go to do real worship. It, 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 re, it covers the return of God's people. Uh, they were in exile, bringing them back so that they could be the true worshippers again. Now, it won't surprise us, what will it take to bring this about? Not surprisingly, that during that kind of transformation, it will be only by the work of God himself. Perhaps what's more surprising is the intimate way God will bring it about. So we're going to scan over the first three chapters of Ezra, and we see that that kind of passion is created, that true worship is restored by God acting, first of all, by stirring the spirit of unbelievers, and then, by the way, he stirs the spirit of believers. So in Ezra 1.1, 1, 1, we read that uh, it's Cyrus's first year, which, of course, I don't need to tell you, it's 539 BC, you know that. Uh, but the, the Lord moved his heart to make a proclamation. Uh, in verse 3, the proclamation is for all the scattered people of God to return to Jerusalem, uh, to rebuild their place of worship. Because, uh, you know, 70 years earlier, Babylonians, they'd, Babylonians had ransacked uh, Jerusalem. They carried off the very best of Jewish society. True worship stopped being possible. You know, that's why by the rivers of Babylon, the people of God wept as they remembered Zion because they were so far physically and spiritually from the ruined temple. You know, the, the, the locals there mocked them and said, why don't you sing another of your songs of praise for God, knowing full well they couldn't sing it because they weren't there. They were far removed from God. And so they mocked them and they wept. Yeah, but God had promised, we saw through Jeremiah in verse 1, and it's actually Jeremiah 25, uh, that the exile would only go for 70 years. God is keeping his promise as we open Ezra, not by bringing about a Jewish hero, but a pagan saviour. See, in Isaiah 45, a long time before Cyrus had ever turned up, Cyrus was named to be Israel's Messiah. Uh, if you think that's a special word, we normally use the word Messiah, um, meaning Christ or anointed one king. We normally use it just of Jesus, Jesus. Um, that's what's the shock of it. Cyrus is their Messiah. What's God doing? He's, re- he's acting to bring about true worship. He's stirring the hearts, uh, moving the heart. More literally, it's stirring the spirit. So it wasn't just that Cyrus had a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling, but, but it's passion in action. And so he decrees that, that any survivor of the Babylonian captivity can go home in verse 4. Uh, he frees them to worship and there, there are echoes of the Exodus when they were well, first slaves in Egypt and they went out. You might remember when they, they went out they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, So it was after plagues and they were given the wealth of Egypt to go back into the land the, the people were so keen to see them off. But here uh, we see they leave in verse 7 with the local silver and gold. God is so stirring the spirit of Cyrus that he bankrolls their return and the restoration of real worship. In verse 8 to 10, he empties the treasury to repay what the Babylonians had stolen. What's remarkable about the way God will bring about a passion for him, true worship, is that he will stir in the spirits of not just believers but unbelievers. In verse 2, when Cyrus speaks of the God of heaven, don't get it wrong, he's not a closet Jew. You know, he's just being diplomatically polite. Now, he uses the Jewish term for how the, the Jewish people talked about their God. He was the God of heaven. He's just using their term in a polite way. Uh, there's a document that archaeologists have found of the time uh, called the Cylinder of Cyrus. Uh, it's it's clear there that um, Cyrus is a polytheist. That is, he believes in lots of gods. Uh, and he sent all the captured nations back from Babylonian rule. Now, in part, it's just clever politics, isn't it? You know, how do I get my newly conquered empire to love me? I'll send them home and they'll think I'm great. But more than that, what the cylinder tells us is is he does this so that the other gods would in turn bow down to his god, Marduk. See, Cyrus is an unbeliever. He's not actively wanting to serve God, the true and living God. But what Ezra wants us to see is that inadvertently he is just an instrument of the Lord who stirred his spirit. You know, Ezra wants us to understand that, sure, Cyrus might be the most powerful figure in the world, but he is still just a servant of the God of heaven. You know, not even unbelief is an impediment to God restoring real worship and stirring people up for him. You know, a few implications for us from that, isn't there? Uh, first, I want us to see we have a really big, powerful God. You know, We worship the God of heaven. That is, we worship the God who is over all the earth. Nothing is above him; everything is under him. Uh, It's what we sang a little earlier on: "You praise the Godhead, three in one, clothed in power and in grace." The name above all other names: you know the true and living God, who we gather in the name of today, is a mighty God, a powerful God, a big God. His rule is not limited to just stirring the hearts of those of us who sign up to follow him. He isn't limited to like us just persuading people to his causes. He can move the heart of Cyrus to his own end. Uh, J.O. Packer uh, helpfully put it when uh, when he was writing, stressing the the personal nature of God. Um, He says, our personal life is a finite thing, limited in every direction, in space, in time, in knowledge and power, but God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, almighty. He has us in his hands, but we never have him in ours. That's the big God we serve. That's the God who is over all. The the earth is just small to him. The gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him, but his anger against all who forsake him. He has us in our hands, we never have him in ours. Our God is big and powerful. Uh, Which means, the second implication, we can actually have confidence no matter who is over us. Cyrus was serving his own purposes doing it for Marduk, doing it for himself. And yet God uses even this disobedience to restore real worship. You know, we can be confident because of our powerful God no matter who is over us. Uh, I know after the, the recent election there, were, uh, there was a lot of concern amongst Christians about the fact that we have a Prime Minister who's an avowed atheist. Now I'd love uh, Julia Gillard to be saved. Um, I think it'd be good for the nation. Uh, more importantly, I think it'd be good for her, uh, her future, her present, her eternity but we needn't worry that true worship can be overridden by just having an unbeliever in authority. We needn't worry. You know, God stirs the hearts of even unbelievers. He's done it in leaders in the past. Um, our denomination, like, like all Christian denominations, uh, in recognition of the, the work we do to serve others and, and those in need, actually receive tax breaks, uh, significant ones. Uh, these tax breaks mean we can actually do more on less that is given. There's God stirring people who don't believe that we can bring about true worship. Uh, We still have SRE taught taught in uh, state schools. Um, Those of you who remember Tolina, who was part of our congregation before she moved to the Hills, she has a great testimony. Uh, If you know her testimony of being a a little girl coming from an unbelieving family, uh, who at I don't know five, six, seven, loved Scripture, and through Scripture come to love the Lord Jesus. Now, we can be confident that God's work of restoring worship, of bringing about that passion for him, will keep going no matter who leads the nation, no matter who leads your workplace, for God is a mighty God who can stir the spirits of unbelievers. Now, it doesn't mean it's always going to be comfortable in life. We can't assume that you know, tax breaks or opportunities in schools will always be there. But even in hardship, even when it's more active opposition, it's not going to stop God. Uh, a few weeks ago in our evening service, we uh, heard... An update from families we support of imprisoned men in Vietnam. uh, Men in prison for the name of the Lord Jesus. And we heard particularly the story of Esther. Uh, The the authorities there are pressuring Esther, her husband's in prison, and they're pressuring her to hand over the names of other Christian leaders. And with the promise, if she does, uh, they won't be um, as tough on her husband, who's behind bars. And I suppose in the update, I was struck how in this circumstance these unbelieving authorities are not destroying her faith, they are growing it. It might not be comfortable, but our God is a big God that even in pain and discomfort, he can work through unbelievers to restore true worship, to bring about a passion and craving for him. How will true worship arise? By God stirring unbelievers, but also by God spurring up the spirit of his people. 1 verse 5. Uh, the same language there of stirring is used of God's people. They're moved in the heart, stirred of spirit to rebuild the temple. Uh, it's passion in action again. You know, not only do they financially invest, but, but they actually move. Um, we didn't mercifully uh, read chapter 2. Just scan with your eyes if you've got it open in front of you. You can see what's going on there. We get this long list of names and numbers uh, what we're given is an insight into just how God has stirred his people. Um, there's the sheer number in 2 verse 64, um, 42, th- over 42,000 people. You know, there's a variety then of people. Descendants uh, of Israel are there. There are, there are priests, there are Levites, there are singers, there are temple servants. You can look over the headings, they kind of give it away as you run through that chapter. The point is there's a whole variety, every walk of life is involved in this large number of the return that God has stirred up. And we see the level of commitment. We see people willing to give up their established life in Babylon. You know, what I like to say is that they'll take their kids out of Babylon grammar, they'll leave the, the harbour views of the Kibar River, and they will go to war-torn, just devastated land of their parents back in Jerusalem. They are stirred up. God stirs his people. He, he's keeping his promise that if he would have his people in his land, that they might worship him. And so we get to chapter three, just flick over well, it's there at the bottom of that page. Um, and that's exactly what happens. Real worship starts. Um, we skip six months down the track. Uh, they've resettled and they gather for worship. And, and the beauty is, you, you read chapter 3 is they're doing it properly in a way that hasn't happened for centuries. Uh, in 3, verse 2, they're doing it the way that Moses, the man of God, had written in the law. They're doing it in 3, 4, as it was written. And they do it in that verse in between 3, 3, even though they're afraid of the unbelievers that are around there, the, the locals who'd been there. And opposed them. God has stirred them up to costly, true worship. And so in 3 verse 8, we skip two years, work on the temple begins. And in 3 verse 10, the foundation stones are laid and praise and thanksgiving happens. They sing to the Lord, he is good, his love endures forever. And they give a shout of praise because God has laid the foundation See, God re-establishes this true worship. He stirs in the hearts of people so oft distracted. So easy would it have been for them to stay where they were in Babylon, but God stirs their hearts to to put the distractions aside and see what really matters. And again, there's implications for us. I'd want to say that today, this morning, as we look at Ezra, there is both an invitation and a challenge for us. The invitation is, is to join in the action with our gifts. You know, God is going to restore through, through our passionate action by stirring us up to it. You know, God is sovereignly in control uh, of, of believers and unbelievers alike, but that doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. You know, when you know that the power of God guarantees his victory, why wouldn't you get on board with what he's doing? It's a call to action. That's the stirring of the spirit God puts in his people. It's an invitation for you and for me to use our gifts for his cause. Because yeah, in Ezra 2, that list, not, not everyone's a household head. Yeah, not everyone's a priest, not everyone's a gatekeeper, not everyone's a temple servant. You know, in chapter 3, they have to pay masons to do the work. The idea is you've got lots of different gifts, but they work together for the same cause as God stirs his people to use what he has given them for him. We're not going to see this city of Sydney transform from, you know, I suppose, its own obsessions to be true worshippers of God by everyone leaving their current situations and doing the same thing of paid ministry or something like that. We need people to invest in their children and households to raise up a new generation of worshippers. We need people as well to work in the city and the variety of networks and careers God places it in. This is the invitation to you. What's the unique contribution that you make, first of all, to this church community, this community of worship how has God stirred you to serve here a new roster is about to um, come out for the structured serving we here have have here like morning tea and you know welcoming and stuff like that here's my chance if you want to be involved and you haven't before you know let me know fill out a form no, more than that I, on each cover note I say uh, with these rosters you know, they're structured ways for us to love each other but it's the starting point. It's not the limit of using your gifts to build this community of worship. How has God uniquely blessed you that you might use them to build his worship? Even more, how do you use those unique opportunities God has given you to extend his kingdom beyond these walls? Now, I love that I can look over our congregation and I think over them, pray for them, and know the variety of networks he's put us in. I can think we've we've got involvement in sporting groups from amateur to professional, uh, in schools from little children uh, to people who get involved in training up future leaders of schools Um, and and society. We we have connections here in the corporate world. Uh, We have it in lots of little suburbs and pockets around this kind of area, but even more across continents. We have connections here through to Asia and the Americas and Europe and Africa. True worship is going to be restored as God stirs in us to take up that invitation and use our gifts that others might come to worship him. Which brings me to the last implication, the challenge. Pray for God's stirring. Pray for God's stirring. It's God who stirs the spirit. It is God who moves the heart to restore real worship, to have that longing for him. It's always his initiative. It's got to be him who acts. We need to pray that he will stir that passion in us. We have as a church a mission statement, living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. That is only ever going to be true if God stirs it up in us to do that. Now, Ezra 3 actually finishes disappointingly. Um, There's this moment uh, that anticipates more. So uh, just after in 3.11, everyone's singing praise for God. Three twelve, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud as they saw the foundation of this temple laid. They wept because this was, quite frankly, a second-rate temple. It was nothing on Solomon's temple. It was feeble. Ezra 3 leaves us with a longing to ask God to stir something greater. It lays the platform for the worship that Christ established. That's why we looked at Acts 2, where not only is God stirring up people uh, and their spirits, He is actually putting his spirit in Acts 2 within his people, his Holy Spirit. Uh, Ezra 3 finishes with those mixed emotions, pushing us to look for something greater, to pray for something more. Um, Two things I want us to pray for this week. On your own, do it in groups, I don't mind. Two things to pray for. One, pray for God to restore true worship and a passion for God in our city and nation. Our our Archbishop set a a desired target of seeing 10% of our city in Bible-believing churches. Um, You know, let's be honest... 10% of Kirribilli are not here. Uh, He wrote a prayer uh, for the mission that's worth us all praying. I'll read it out. You don't have to do it word for word. Get the feel of this prayer. Uh, Our gracious God, we pray that you will help us to proclaim our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that everyone around us will hear his call to repent, trust and serve Christ in love, and be established in the fellowship of his disciples while we wait his return. May we continue to pray to depend on your Holy Spirit and to glorify you. Amen. See, if true worship is going to be restored in our city, we, you, me, we need to pray for God to stir. And secondly, we need to pray for God to stir in us that kind of passionate commitment to his purpose. If the remnant were, were willing to pour out uh, their money, move homes, overcome the fear of locals, to be that committed to, to restore worship at what was a feeble temple, how much more should we be challenged to share that kind of passion when we have the Lord Jesus and true worship in him? I was at a, an awards night for a rugby league club uh, just this week. Uh, in the course of what was a very long awards night, <laughs> um, they, uh, they talked a little about at the start of the season... Uh, the high-performance set-up there needed overhauling. They needed $200,000 extra beyond budget. In a matter of weeks and some phone calls, all in the pre-season, they had it all. And I couldn't help, uh, I suppose, being amazed at the passion people had for the club. Now, I, I mean, you don't have to believe rugby league's the greatest game of all to see, you know, there is passion. Uh, some of us do. Um... <laughs> There is real passion, and I, I, as I was at the awards night, I couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be great if our passion for worshiping God exceeded that kind of passion at the awards night? Yeah, you know, that kind of investment. Yeah, and it's not going to be by us. You know, I'm not going to tell us we've got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's not going to be by us. It's going to be by God pouring out more of His grace upon us. Yeah, you know, I know that many of us go through periods of just being distracted by all the good things God gives us so much so that we kind of forget the giver. You know, and if that's you today, pray God would straighten out your passions. You know, I know that many of us have periods where, where simply we feel spiritually dry or distant or burdened or worn out. And if that's you, pray again that God will stir your heart. So how is that craving for God going to be? fulfilled in our lives? How will, how will true worship be restored? How will our city be transformed? How will our lives be transformed? By nothing less than the gracious hand of God stirring in believer and unbeliever alike. Let's pray. Now Lord and Father we thank you that you are a good, gracious and merciful God. We praise you that you are powerful and above all and we ask this day that you would give us and our city a passion for you a desire to worship you, to treat you as the creator that you are and acknowledge that we are just the creatures. Father, for those of us who have been distracted, for those of us who are feeling tired and worn out, stir in us a passion for you and give us satisfaction in worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.